0: Make you smile, don't they? Especially when they giggle. I thought it'd be fun to have that turned up so we could hear them laughing. It looked like we had Braden up there and Judah, some of our own babies, the twins and things. Well, um, a couple of weeks ago, I think Buddy told you about this great yard sale that we decided to have. We were going to uh, get rid of all the stuff—the stuff that we've been carrying around for years. We packed up stuff in Harrisonburg about 25 years ago, and we just took those boxes and all that stuff and took it to Woodbridge with us and put it in the attic. And then we brought all that stuff to Fredericksburg, and we've had it for 20 years, in the attic. And so we said, you know what? We're just going to start to get rid of all that stuff. So he brought it down, and I started going through all of that stuff. And it was, I'm telling you, a trip down memory lane. If you go through your stuff that you've been kind of packed, that's been packed away for 30 years, you're going to find some stuff there. And it was a trip down memory lane for me. I found the recorded facts of my life, beginning with my baby book. Do you guys have your baby book? Uh, yeah, some, some not. Well, you know, there's about five pages done in my baby book, kind of like I did for Jody. You get bored after like a year. You know, but I did see when I sat up for the first time, when my hair was cut for the first time. I mean, that was an old book. It was falling apart. But there it was in front of my eyes, information about me that I never had before. Uh, Well, it was packed away and all the stuff. And uh, so I got that, and then I found my elementary school uh, yearbooks. And so I was able to go through elementary school, and that brought back all kinds of memories. I have a friend that I connected with in the second, she's my second grade friend, and she's in Guam, and we reconnected. And, and uh, I saw all the pictures, and put names to people that I just had, you know, I know the faces, but I didn't know the names. Brought back my teachers. I mean, there were the facts of my life that had just been kind of committed to my memory. And then I ran across it. The box of Love letters. Whoa! <laughs> and I said, "What is this? And I started reading these notes, and they were notes that were passed around in biology class, and I wasn't paying attention, and I started reading these and and there were probably about twenty from somebody that I couldn't even remember her name. I had to go to the yearbook and look it up, and I said, "'Oh my goodness! And it was really intense and And then I found some letters from old boyfriends and then I found a letter from my mom ooh <laughs> and and I'm telling you it was really telling it was very telling as I read those and then I saw these I saw this trail you know you just commit things to memory and you kind of get an idea of what things were but when you see the facts and what it really is it's a completely different ball game and I began to see this this kind of trail of influences that I had in my life and uh, I I, back in those days I loved I was in eighth grade in eighth grade I was 12 years old and I was just beginning to become a teenager and I ran across I loved Patty Duke and uh, this is Patty Duke and and you know I never realized how much the culture had influenced me until I ran across this. laughing about (laughs) the white headband the little flipped up hair all I need is a phone and I'm sure I had a phone in my hand those days and and you know my I always thought that my primary um, influence in my life as I looked back at my life was my church and my family I thought that's what influenced me because my family was wonderful my church was wonderful I learned all those lessons in my life But as I looked back through, I realized how much the culture had influenced me, and I didn't even realize it. And uh, as I've looked back on some of those old shows, I realized that some of my teachers were, here's a big one, Matt Dillon, Gunsmoke, yeah, Paul on Bonanza, and Patty Duke. (laughs) I loved Patty Duke. I kind of absorbed, without even realizing it, some TV theology. Because back in those days, the moral lessons that were being taught in those shows were very similar to what you'd hear in church. Now, it's not that way anymore because today in our iWorld, we have social media theology. And uh, we go there to find out how to live and what the Bible says and and we get all kinds of messages and we don't even realize how much we're absorbing a cultural mentality it's a well-known fact psychologically all you have to do is study psych 101 Uh, probably most of you have had had it psych 101 it's a well-known fact that young minds young children and I've watched it, I've been able to watch it a little closer with my grandchildren, young minds absorb without questioning. They just absorb what the significant people in their life, every single one of us when we were really young, before we even can remember, we were absorbing all kinds of messages from the people in our life and from other avenues that we didn't even realize were influencing us. And we don't even question. And then we form these beliefs at a really, really young age. I, I can look back, and, and uh, I was watching Gunsmoke one day, and I said, hey, I thought I learned that from the Bible. <laughs> it was just really something that Matt Dillon lived by, and it, it didn't realize he was my teacher. But we form these beliefs at a really young age, and then we begin to live them out. And we draw both accurate and inaccurate conclusions. So in our minds, we have this kind of ball of all kinds of of things that have come together. Uh, Some of them are true. Some of them aren't. Like the memory that I held of me as a teenager and the actual truth of what I saw in those letters. (laughs) By the time I was finished, I was like, ooh, I don't think I'd hang out with her. (laughs) But because I had put this memory together of myself as a teenager, and it really didn't line up with what I was seeing in those letters. You see, what happened to me was I got a course correction in my thinking. When I read what was true and what I saw there and what, what I had kind of put together, there was like this course correction in my thinking because my perception had gotten just a bit twisted. And that's exactly what this series is about. How easily and how unknowingly we're influenced by all kinds of things in our culture, by people, by memories from a young age, and how we're influenced and how some of the beliefs that we're actually living out, some of the things that we've put together and accepted as true are really just twisted. And that affects our view of God It affects our view of every relationship that we're in. It affects how God, how we see God works. We kind of put it together. And you know, if we're just 2% off of the truth, it'll take us down a road. And eventually, if we don't get that course correction to what the truth really is, we'll end up far away from God. And so, I guess what this message is about is whether or not you're willing to open your mind to perhaps some of the things, some of the beliefs, some of the things that you've put together in your own mind. And I've kind of done this in my own life and and found things that I was living and believing and living out that really are not what the Bible or who God is at all. So if you're willing to open your mind and allow Jesus and his word to kind of course correct you back to his truth, he'll do that for you. See, what happens is, once we get down that road, then problems hit. And what we tend to do is, we tend to question God. We say, God, why why is this happening to me? Instead of questioning our twisted thinking. See, that's where our mind really needs to go. Because God is the same forever. And God never does anything wrong. And so, but we question him and we say, God, you're just handling this or something's just, just not lining up. Well, that's probably true. That's a clue for us to say, maybe I haven't seen this clearly according to his truth all of these years. And he'll give you the clues and you'll begin to see things. And see, if we can look at our problems... This message is all about what we do when we're unhappy. If we can look at our problems in a different way and look at those problems as an opportunity for God to teach us, maybe to show us more of who he is, maybe to show us more of who we, we are, then and you allow Jesus and his word to fill, filter in and you begin to look, keep your eyes on him and his word. He'll show us where, our, where our, we may be uh, off the path. And he'll, he'll straight, he specializes in straightening our path. So today we're going to look at a common, twisted belief that I hear a lot. Uh, I've just heard it recently that says, you know, I just believe, I just believe that just God just wants me to be happy. He wants me to be happy. Admit it or not, you and I are influenced by our culture. If we we don't realize that we're absorbing these messages around us, we're going to get caught up in them. And they're going to take over in us. We are influenced by our culture. We are deeply rooted in a culture that says, true happiness and fulfillment in my life is going to come through me attaining my individual rights. It's just what our culture is all about. It's, It's about having things go the way I want them to go, having things my way. And we can trace this back to 1969, Woodstock. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to criticize this because uh, I was part of that generation. Uh, A couple years later, I jumped in a VW bus and went down to the Mardi Gras. I'm not going to criticize. That was me. Now, I may not look like it, but I was the hippie generation. I had the long, straight hair, parted it in the middle, and, you know, had waved the flowers. And I was still in high school at Woodstock, so I didn't get to go there, uh, but I wanted to, and I couldn't wait until I could grow up and, and go there. So in college, I took that opportunity. That was just kind of my mindset. And uh, that was when you can trace it back, and I experienced it. That was when this, this value of feeling good exploded. I'm telling you, happy was the drug of choice. It's just what we were searching for. It's just the goal that we wanted in our life. And it didn't matter about anything else. And what happened was, it was at the expense of healthy relationships. And we sort of developed this theology of happiness. It was our goal. It was, it was where we wanted, nobody's gonna control me. If it feels good, do it. If, if whatever makes me happy, well that must be right. Whatever makes me unhappy, I'm gonna do away with. It's all about being happy. We didn't enjoy discomfort. We'd do whatever it took to make the discomfort go away. We didn't believe in delay. We'd do it right now. We didn't care. We didn't want inconvenience in our life. We weren't willing to sacrifice. There was no personal sacrifice. That's not what God wanted for us. I mean, you could sit around and smoke weed and talk about Jesus and think that that was making him happy. I mean, that was just kind of the mindset that exploded on the scene of Woodstock. And the gods of comfort and the gods of pleasure were lifted high. How many, well, I'm not going to ask. <laughs> I'm part of that generation. I was part of that. Except for the fact that the, all of those qualities, discomfort, delay, inconvenience, personal sacrifice, every single one of those are necessary in order to build intimate, committed, healthy relationships. See relationships bowed to the individual goal of personal happiness. I just need to be happy became the mantra to leave marriages, to leave children. And today the results are in on my generation and our theology of happiness. Today, you know, when I talk to millennials, how many people here are between the ages of 18 and 35? 18 and 35, just a few. Okay, you, all those over 35. How about 40 and under? Okay, there's, oh, there, okay, there's more. So, so we're going to talk to, I'm, I'm talking to the 40 and unders, which I'm going to include you in the millennial generation. You're five years, a little bit too old. But, uh, and then everyone over that. Because these two generations, we're kind of passing the baton. This generation of mine is passing the baton to those 40 and under. So you're going to hear this with different ears. The results are in from this happiness theology. Today, the consistent cry, when I work with somebody 40 and under, the consistent cry is, I don't know how to do relationships. I don't know how to do it. I grew up in a home that that was split. I I didn't really see a good example of how you do it. And even those relationships that are staying together, I didn't see them have an intimate relationship. I didn't really see my parents connected. It was just kind of they were just together. And it's a generation that's grown up in the midst of all of that, of absent parents and alcoholism and kind of a sexuality that we did that anything goes, whatever you want, if it feels good, just do it. And for you, 40 and under, that's what you've grown up in. And now you're the big guys. Now you're the adults. And you get to choose what you're going to do with, uh, with all of that. But what I see from the millennials is that you're left sort of with this relational bankruptcy. And kind of this confusion about commitment and intimacy and... What does it really mean to be connected apart from just hooking up physically? What does it mean? You know, as I was preparing this, I I had to say, you guys and all of you from 40 under, on behalf of my generation, I apologize. I apologize for you because we created this kind of relational bankruptcy, bankruptcy. We blew it. And now, this generation is carrying that mess. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? This, this happiness theology that we passed on to you, it didn't work. It didn't work to build the kind of relationships that are going to bring you fulfillment and true happiness. And that is deeply embedded in our culture today. It hasn't changed and this twisted thinking then ascribes happiness theology to God. We say, well, God just... I have to do this. I know he won't like it, but I have to do this because I know he wants me to be happy. It's kind of like that. And, and we ignore this difficult... I mean, you can look at the empty chairs and find that this is not very popular anymore. This message is not very popular anymore. The one that says there's a difficult, less traveled path that's necessary to take in order to be redeemed and restored back and course corrected back into what God has called us to. And we have to find the truth. We, f- we have to find who He is. But here's the thing, all of that's the problem what's the solution well I can tell you this not all is lost this is a beautiful generation and I can tell you this it is no worse now than it was generations down through history that needed course correction and redemption and restoration and this generation can't blame it on their parents and say well it's all because of you No, now you're a big boy and girl and it's time for you to get your own therapy And it's time for you to say, what am I going to do with what was handed to me? And it always makes me really excited when I see people 40 and under that are still pursuing that. That have the option of doing the same thing that my generation did. But you're saying, I want to choose something different. I want to do whatever it takes to keep this relationship. You know, even though my generation did that, there came a point in time where I wanted to do the same thing. We all want to run away from our marriage. We all want to run away from the tough thing. And for some reason, God gave me the strength to stay. And I can tell you, none of this would be here today. What will happen in your life if you allow yourself to course correct back to the truth and redeem and restore what past generations have done? And many of you have the opportunity, you guys have the opportunity, you have the opportunity to turn this thing around and not to allow our twisted thinking to continue to repeat the same patterns over and over. Now, here's the thing, there's hope. There is so much hope because God's word is the same. We can always get course corrected from our twisted thinking back. And here's one point that I want to make before we finish out at the end. God wants us to experience happiness. Don't ever be confused that from me saying, uh, I just want to be happy, to God doesn't want me to be happy. That's not true. God wants us to experience happiness. It contributes to a healthy brain. Our brains will get healthier if we laugh. And we experience happiness. And uh, we'll have a healthier life. In Proverbs it says, here's the best medicine. Maybe a lot of you went to the doctor this week. But the Bible says, here's the best medicine. What is it? A cheerful heart. And what's a cheerful heart do? It laughs. It lightens up. Come on, people. Lighten up. You know, life gets so serious, doesn't it? And I can tell you in the last six months, life got really, really serious for me. And every day was just getting up and calling on God and meeting with him and saying, God, you've got to be my strength because I'm so weak here and I need you. And every day was pretty, very serious for me. And every year I have to do CEUs, continuing uh, education units, for, to maintain my license as a professional counselor. And so I, this thing came in the mail and it said, you can get six CEU units for this conference called Laughter, Humor, and Health. I said, I'm there, baby. I'm there. <laughs> I needed to laugh because life had gotten really serious. And I went to this conference, and, the, and our presenter was a neuroscientist. Now, that's a, a branch off of a psychologist. He's a psychologist, a Ph.D., Dr. Brian King. And uh, he said, I don't go by Dr. King because there's another Uh, famous one, and it was Dr. Brian King, and he was a psychologist, PhD, and a neuroscientist, which means he studies the brain, and it was incredible, because I love the brain, I love studying the brain, and he was able to take something really complex and make us understand it, but he was also a stand-up comedian from Hollywood, California, and he goes around to all the comedy clubs, and he does these gigs in comedy clubs, and then he'll go do these conferences, and I said, I have come to the right place. And he started this thing off. He said, now, I want to give you this really clean uh, stand-up comedian. And he played a clip for us. And here's the guy. i um, just going to give you one quick little clip. Inventions intrigue me. I was reading about the walkie-talkie, and I read it was a military invention. That surprised me, because usually military stuff has strong names, you know? Apache helicopter, Tomahawk missile. Walkie-talkie? How did that slip through the system? It's a general talking to some guy. What do you have there, soldier? Well, it's a new communication device. It's untethered, which will enable the troops to speak effectively when they're in the field. What's it called? Walkie-talkie! Look, I'm walking and I'm talking! Now you walk in talking, General. I'm walking talking. Are you walking talking? <laughs> I like it, soldier. What's this explosive device? The whammy ka And this is the rooty-tooty aim Shoot shooty. <laughs> you, so, anyway, we started laughing, and you can go online. I'll give this to you, because Kim and Colin Birch, they told me last night, they went to his website, and they watched this humor together, and they just laughed and laughed together. Brian Regan, R-E-G-A-N, uh, especially watch the one I walked on the moon. He's really, really funny. So, I knew that this conference was going to be a good one for me. He talked about the value of laughter in our life, the, the fact that we tend to take life too seriously. And even in the really tough times in our life, we need to lighten up some. And you know, Buddy and I have to do that a lot because leading a church like this can get really uh, uh, hard. (laughs) And it can be full of problems because there are so many problems. And we can get caught up in our own problems. And we can get those problems become so big, they become bigger than God. We just need to laugh. So God wants us to experience that emotion. It's an emotion. You know, I looked for a clip for us to do, and and I just sat there and I laughed and laughed until tears came down my eyes. I mean, the guy is just really funny. I don't know, maybe you won't laugh because we all get different kind of humor, but he's clean, he's good, and that made me laugh. Laughter and happiness are important to life. But it goes up, and it goes down, and it comes, and it goes. And if we chase happy as our goal, our life is going to be a roller coaster. And when we're unhappy, we're going to do all kinds of things to make the unhappy go away. And we're going to be chasing happy. I just want to be, of course we all want to be happy. I mean, I can't give the prescription, okay, go be unhappy. But by the time we're finished here, that's what I'm going to give you the prescription of. To go be unhappy and learn how to be unhappy because who you are depends on what you do when you're unhappy. Because generally, see, we say, well, I don't chase that happy God, but what do you do when you're unhappy? What do you do when you're unhappy? Where do you turn? It's one of the reasons we have such problems with addictions today. We turn to shopping, we turn to drugs, we turn to alcohol. What do you do when you're unhappy? And so God wants us to be happy, but, if, but that's not our goal. It's only a byproduct. In the Bible, here's just one verse, and if you trace down happy in the Bible, you will always see that happy is a byproduct of a relationship with God. It's something that will happen. It'll come and go. It'll go away. It'll be up and down, but it will be a byproduct of your relationship with God. Here's one. May all who are godly be happy in the Lord and praise his holy name. Do you know what it takes to become a godly person? It ain't going to make you happy sometimes because there's personal sacrifice, because there's allowing God to not give me my way. And I have to submit and surrender. There are times when I have to be humble, I have to swallow my pride. That doesn't make me feel happy. But, but he calls us to be godly. But there will be times as you live that life that you will be happy in a fresh and cheerful new way. Godly comes in a relationship with God through Jesus. And we have to work on that relationship like any relationship. Relationships are hard. And there are going to be times that it's not going to make us happy, but what do we do? Do we run away from the problem? Or do we commit ourselves to do whatever it takes to be healthy? Now happy is just one emotion. We're talking about our emotions here, God-given emotions. He wants us to experience them. He gave them to us for a purpose. They they allow us to express our heart. Happy is just one emotion of lots of emotions that God's given us. But here's the thing. Every single one of us get to choose. Can we show our little uh, happy? I mean, our, here we go. Just one emotion of many emotions. You guys run across these guys all the time, don't you? Yeah, you know these guys really well. (laughs) But it's just one emotion there. That's road rage. Yeah, it's just one emotion of all the emotions that God gave us. And every single one of us get to choose how we're going to use them. Can you trust them to guide you in your life? No. You cannot trust your emotions. You cannot trust your feelings. Did God give you your feelings? Yes, they're important to to know what they are. They give you clues into your deep heart. It's important for us to express our emotions. I've had to learn how to do my emotions. In my home when I was young, it was I didn't really didn't have permission to express my anger to express my sadness. I could express my happiness but not all those other emotions. And so I've had to learn how to to express them. Can we trust them? No, we can't. But there's a happy way to there's a healthy way to use them. For happy it allows you to lighten up. You can inject some laughter into your life. If you just wait until something tickles your funny bone, it probably won't happen. You're going to have to intentionally do something that will make you laugh. Lighten up. And there's an unhappy way to use happy, unhealthy way to use happy as well, and that's to make it your goal. Same with the emotion of fear. God allowed us to have the capacity For fear. Fear can be a good thing. It keeps me from running out in front of cars. We teach our children don't run out in front of cars. That's a good, healthy fear. But if your fear is guiding you, you're gonna be overwhelmed with anxiety, and that's gonna lead to depression. God gave us the capacity for these emotions. Sadness is another. The Bible says that there's a right time for everything says there's a time to laugh and a time to cry. God also designed us with this capacity for sadness. Does anybody know uh, what research said is the saddest clip ever? They actually did research to find out what the saddest movie clip ever was. You might think Old Yeller. No, it was Champ. Anybody watch that movie? Champ, the boxer, and little Ricky Schroeder was really little. And he comes in and his daddy is laying on the gurney and he's dead after his boxing match, and it's really sad, I guess. Or here's one for the wreckage of your The saddest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> You're in the arms of the angel May you find some comfort. Oh, <laughs> now that's made to move you to compassion. So that you will give. (laughs) Don't be manipulated. (laughs) But it, it it can be very... God wants us to experience sadness. So that we can mourn. In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about... Blessed are those who mourn. When we have losses in our life, we need to feel sad. We need to cry. We need to mourn so that we can move through it. Hurt... And pain are necessary in our life. You think of pain physically, it's really important. First thing you go to the doctor, and they'll say, Where's the pain? Right? It's important to be able to identify pain because that tells you where the wound is. It allows us to move to compassion. See, all of our feelings, all of our emotions are important, but not to be our guide. Not to say, oh, I feel this way and then my actions follow that. What we need to do is feel that way and sit in it and experience it and allow God to be there with us. He gave us anger. We get to choose how we're going to use our anger, and that's one of the emotions that we misuse most of the time. We can either use that toward others destructively to tear down or, which ultimately destroys ourselves. Or we can use it to get angry about injustice. There's a lot of injustice in the world. Instead of getting angry at one another, why don't we get angry at sin? Why don't we get angry at injustice and invest our energy into that instead of each other? Here's a great website. Um, it's IJM. Look it up sometime. It's uh they, It's headquartered in D.C. and uh, it specializes in fighting human trafficking. There are all kinds of things that you can take your anger and you can direct it to and use it in a healthy way. These emotions, happy, sad, angry, God gave them to us. He wants us to express them, to use them in a way that he gave us to use them because they express our heart. He gifted us with it. But singling out happy as our goal, well, that's just twisted. And ascribing that to what God wants in our life, sure, he wants us to express our happiness, but that's not our guiding light. Now, just watch yourself. Watch yourself as you go your day in and day out and try to figure out what is the cultural mindset that I've absorbed. How am I doing my emotions? And I, Am I allowing them to lead me and guide me? And then I choose my, my uh, behaviors as a result of how I'm feeling? You just watch. We do that more often than you would can even imagine. The Bible says when times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God's made the one as well as the other. On a good day, enjoy yourself. On a bad day, I love what the message says. It says, examine your conscience. God arranges for both kind of days so that we won't take anything for granted. See, when we don't get our way, when we experience the drag of being unhappy, it tells us who we are in how we do our unhappy. What do you do? When things aren't going your way? Or what do you do when you feel unhappy? What do you turn to? Uh, Don Marquis, a humorist and author, said, happiness is just simply the interval between periods of unhappiness. There's unhappiness, then there's happiness, then there's unhappiness. We have unhappiness in our lives. So here's the thing. I'm going to offer you a revolutionary concept. I'm going to try to twist your mind back, twist it back onto Jesus, back onto the scripture with kind of this revolutionary concept. How about developing a tolerance for unhappiness? Think about that for a minute. Develop a tolerance for unhappiness. Instead of getting upset or depressed when things aren't going our way or when we're feeling down or when we're feeling blue. Take that opportunity. Take that, catch yourself. Take that opportunity to think, maybe God's trying to teach me something here. Instead of lashing out at somebody else or turning to something to make it feel better, catch yourself and say, what is God trying to teach me here? Maybe I need to learn a new discipline Maybe I just need to feel instead of trying to make that feeling go away. Because I can tell you this, if we keep trying to make it go away, we'll get stuck. We'll go deeper in anxiety. We'll go deeper in depression. I had someone in my office uh, this week and I was teaching that person how to be lonely. Instead of trying to push it away, Let's learn how to do it. Let's learn how to be unhappy. Teach your children. And you don't teach them with your words, you know. You teach them by what you do when you're unhappy. Do you get angry and mad and do you make everybody try to do what you want them to do? What do you do? Watch yourself. Observe yourself when you're unhappy. That will give you clues into who you are. Society says Do something to make the unhappy go away. That's happiness theology. If you're unhappy, if things aren't going your way, do something else to make it go away. Run away, find somebody else, get a substance. That's what happiness theology says. I don't want to feel that pain. I don't want to look at that stuff inside of me. But God says, and I'm going to give you these really quickly, I'm going to give you three simple things that we can do. Because she said to me, she said, I don't know how to do lonely. I don't know what to do. I said, here's what we do. And I'm with you on this too, because I've had to learn this as well. Practice his presence. Sit in your unhappy. This moment, God says this. He said, blessed is the one Who trusts in the Lord? Do you know what it takes to build trust in God over trust in running away or in a substance or in all of those things? It's hard. Every morning I get up and I say, God, I want to trust you. You know, I have this thing, I've had a lot of people die in my life, beginning at my age of 15. I mean, I had all my four grandparents. I had my father, my mother, my brother. I've had a lot of people die. Don't you think it would be really tough for me not to live in fear of who's next? Because I've still got a lot of people I love. My brother's headed to China this week all by himself. And I could easily sit and worry and be scared of it. So I get up in the morning and say, God, I'm, I'm weak. I am so weak. My tendency is to kind of ruminate in my feelings here. I've been walking this walk for a long time, and it's still really hard to trust God. It takes an intentional, intentional effort to trust God. But it says blessed are the ones who trust Him, and not another relationship, or another substance, or running away, or... Even coming to church. You you see what I'm saying? We tend to get our focus off on the 2% that really we need to be course corrected back to putting it on Jesus. And that creates a dependence on him. And secondly, call out. Turn to God first. When you're sitting in that and you're practicing his presence, he said that he will be with us always. Even in our pain even in our hurt. If we're trying to make that stuff go away, we're going to miss the clues that are going to allow us to get better. So turn to God first. Turn to Him. Buddy talked to us about this last week, that He won't give us any more than we can, any more temptation, but we do get more than, than we can handle. And when we turn to Him, we say, God, I am weak. I need Your strength. I am tempted to do the feel-good right here. But it says, the Lord rightly blesses all who call on him. So I'm, I'm, I'm prescribing for you, use your unhappy. Be unhappy. Learn from it. See, we want everybody else to change instead of saying, God, I know you're here with me right now. I need you to reveal to me these things that I need to look at in my life. And then thirdly, allow the Holy Spirit and God's Word to lead you. Not your feelings. Not even your reasoning. Not your logic. Not your feelings. But course correct back to Jesus and His Word. Practice His presence. Resist the feel good. Yeah, I'm telling you, I'm prescribing for you Be unhappy. What do you do when you're unhappy? The Bible says your word is my lamp. Your word is my light. If I walk in your word, you'll give me the next step. And sometimes that's all he gives us, just the next step. Don't trust your reasoning either. I'm a logical person. I'm an analytical person. And I tend to like things to be logical. Can't trust that either. Can't follow that. Can't allow my logic to be my guide. Because the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways. Trust Him. Acknowledge Him. And He'll straighten out your path. Because all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, we tend to get on a crooked path. We tend to have twisted thinking. And the only way that that's gonna leave is as we course correct back and get our eyes fixed on Jesus. And when we seek him first, happy might be delayed because you know why? Happy is delayed because we're exchanging what I want for what God wants. And that dies hard. You know, little kids, you ever watch little kids when they can't have what they want? (laughs) We're the same way. Because we have to discipline, we have to allow God to discipline us. I was out last week uh, and there was uh, this beautiful young couple and they were going to get pictures, Mother's Day pictures, and it was before the service and they said, we've got to get it taken now because we're going to take our little girl back and when we pick her up, she's going to have great big red eyes because she's going to cry the whole time back there. And so they wanted to get the picture taken before her eyes got red. And I said, man, you guys, I'm going to talk about you next week because you're delaying her happiness. They keep taking her back. You see what I'm saying? They keep taking her back. They didn't allow her to say, I don't want to be back there. And then, and then they bring, them in here, bring her in here. They keep taking her back so that she'll learn her lesson. And one day when they pick her up, she won't have those red eyes. You follow what I'm saying? We're the same way. That's how God is with us. He wants to discipline us. Because unlike my generation that thought no boundaries, freedom comes from nobody, no control, the reality of it is God gives us these boundaries to keep us safe and secure in his hand. And it dies hard when we want things our way. And so in Matthew 5, it talks about A life that really doesn't necessarily feel happy, Jesus says, in the way that we're to live our lives, we're to be humble. And that means we have to swallow our pride. Even at a time like this, there is no safer place than right here. But in this room, lots of times, it's hard for people to swallow their pride and get up, no matter what anybody thinks, and come down here and pray and give it all to God. But he asks us to. It doesn't make you feel happy but you are blessed. God didn't call us to be happy. He called us to be holy. And becoming holy like him means that we're going to have to die to ourselves. Doesn't feel happy, but he says we'll be blessed. Blessed are those that humble themselves. Blessed are those that are meek, that don't insist on their own way. Blessed are those that are peacemakers, that are willing to go through the conflict in order to resolve. And so as we close out this morning, the altar is always open. And if you want to pray, one thing that we can do is worship, lift our hands, and God wants to change us from the inside out. Let's stand together and worship.